Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money. And I recently realized if I didn't have to pay student loans, I probably could afford a gently used BMW X5. Now ain't that some. Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we, of course, trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money. I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Malcolm Etheridge. What's going on, Malcolm? Not too much, man. Another day, another dollar, as you like to say. As they say, man. Uh, interesting thing that I just said and how I really, really realized that, like, for the first time ever, I took account of what I pay in student loans. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I thought about what else I could buy. And Why would you want to depress yourself? <laughs> but it was it was funny both because of like realizing it in that sense, but then also the fact that that was the first time that I thought about it that way. I'll give you the same reality check that I always give everybody else who goes down that rabbit hole. <laughs> how different their life would be today uh -huh. if they didn't have to pay student loans today. Right. How different would your life be today? if you didn't have the degrees that you're paying for. Well. So there's your trade-off, right? Like, go. would you still be able to afford that BMW X5 lifestyle uh -huh. without all these degrees that you have that you're paying for? Well, unlikely, it's, it's, it's one of those like, Half a dozen in the other, right. six in the hand, whatever the saying is. Uh, you know the saying because you're an old man. Uh, <laughs> but of course, this is another episode of Manage Your Damn Money. And on this episode, the conversation at hand is a single word, percentages. We're going to be discussing percentages on this show. And we'll explain what we mean by percentages a little later. But before, but first, before we get into that, it is now time for headlines. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, headline this week, uh, Malcolm. Congressmen are sleeping in their offices to save money, saying, quote, unquote, I can't afford an apartment. Um, this was a MarketWatch.com piece uh, in May of 2018 by Marissa Schultz. Uh, crying poverty amid decade-long stagnant salaries in Washington's steep cost of living, an increasing number of House lawmakers on the House side have turned into professional squatters at night, hitting the sack in their Capitol Hill offices on everything from cots and closets to futons stashed behind constituent couches to save a few bucks during the work week, Malcolm. Uh, Washington is too expensive, said Representative- Go figure. <laughs> said Representative Dan Donovan, who's a Republican from New York, who credits the cot that he sleeps on and a tiny a clove in his office as the reason he is able to serve in Congress while still paying his New York housing costs. It's funny because they use the word a clove and I don't know that I know what that means. <laughs> You sure it's not alcove? It might be. There you go. There you go. <laughs> right. So if we go to the point where you have to rent or have to buy in D.C., then only millionaires would be members of Congress, he said. I don't think that was the intent of our founding fathers. Um, proposed legislation set to be introduced into the House as soon as uh, this month, which would be May, um, would prohibit politicians from turning their offices into makeshift sleeping quarters, arguing that the move is violating IRS and congressional ethics rules. Um, another quote from another congressperson. Look, it's unhealthy. It's nasty. I would want to be. In, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be entertained in someone's bedroom," said Representative Benny Thompson, who's a Democrat from Mississippi, um, who is among those spearheading this bill to prevent Congress people from sleeping in their quarters. Sleeping in your office is not proper, he says, uh, ethically either. 
You can get free cable, free electricity, free janitorial services, free security, no rent. It's a heck of a deal. It probably comes out to $25,000 to $30,000 a year that isn't claimed at tax time. Mm -hmm. um, many of them previously got extra compensation or per diem when they served in their home state legislatures to cover their living expenses while at the state capitol. Um, but members of the House do not, and I don't think Congress, they get that. Uh, members of the U.S. House of Representatives receive a salary of $174,000 a year, a figure that hasn't increased in nearly a decade, um, and if they don't get a housing allowance. And they also work in a city, the city that we live and work and play in, Malcolm, uh, where one bedroom pad can start at $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they also have to pay to maintain their residence in their home state, which is a big deal because, you know, they're essentially having to pay two housing costs because you have to of course maintain your address where right. you um, are a senator or house represent house of representative from uh and as of now no senators are known to be living in their offices that was like a footnote in the story um but malcolm how do you feel about members of the house of representatives copying a squat in their offices uh to quote uh nelson from the simpsons <laughs> I, I, I think that's hilariously a case of the chickens coming home to roost. Wow. Okay. In a lot of scenarios where you've had people for years and years and years and years and years begging uh, Congress slash the Senate, right. the, the government in general, to right. do something about the housing crisis that is right. for, you know, let's call it 50% of the country. I don't even know what the number is. Right. But 50% of the country that just cannot afford these inflated housing prices that have been going up and up and up for the last 10 years. Right. Everybody's been making a big deal about it. Everybody knows it exists. But for whatever reason, these same congressmen and women <laughs> haven't done very much about it to right. try and curtail uh, the problem. Right. But now they're feeling the pinch as well. So in D.C., you, I mean, for 15 years I've lived it. I've seen people from communities that have been getting gentrified and the cost of living has just been going exponentially higher than anything we've ever seen before get displaced. Right. And they can't keep up with it because a lot of other market forces are, are working against them. But now you have these people who make you know, six figures right. complaining that Comfortable six they figures. too can't afford to live in the place that they're the ones who actually set the rent in some ways right. in these places. So, yeah, it, you know. It's, it's a little bit of super irony, in my opinion. Um, one of those you just sit back and, like, laugh at, and there's not much else you can do about it. I tell you what, though, I better not ever hear any of those senators who are living rent-free on my tax dollars <laughs> complaining about government subsidies for poor individuals in this country. Oh, any man. of those people who are talking about cutting entitlement programs uh -huh. or whatever— that's a heck of an entitlement living rent-free on my American taxpayer dollars, okay? So I have no sympathy in that regard, if there are any of those people uh, living in that situation. That's funny. Um, what is So, I mean, you kind of hit on it, Malcolm, the state of affordable housing in D.C. and other major cities. We talk about a legislative solution with the assumption that legislation can do something about it. What's a realistic short- to midtermish goal in term, that can be done to actually, like, address what is a housing crisis in terms of sh shortage of housing available mm -hmm. and also the level of expense that a lot of these places to live actually sit at? Honestly, I think it might be too late. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not okay. very encouraging, uh -huh. and that doesn't really, you know, that's a glass-half-empty way to look at it. Uh -huh. But I honestly think it's a bridge too far. Like, okay. we've basically gotten to the point where if you can't live to, you can't afford to live in the city, right. you move out of the city. Right. If you can't afford to live in the state, you move to another state. Right. I think that's kind of where we've gotten to. But then yeah. you're seeing 
people in like St. Paul, Minnesota mm-hmm. are complaining that there's no more affordable housing in St. Paul, Minnesota wow. because people who used to live in New York City and DC and Florida have moved there <laughs> and taken over and brought their inflated incomes and right. raised the cost of housing and everything right. else. So everybody's in search of that affordable living area that also has something attractive about it socially. Mm-hmm. It's just becoming tougher and tougher to find it at a rate that you can actually afford, that a reasonable salaried person can actually afford. Right. And so I really think we're just at a point where it's- We're up a creek. We're, we're up, up a creek. <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we'll see how it shakes out, but yeah. you know, that, that's just the way I, 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 I see it, I think. You're just going to have to ride it out. I mean, legislatively, to your point, though, the only thing I think you can really do mm-hmm. is raise wages. Like, you right. can raise the minimum wage in these areas right. to make it so that it's a little bit more livable. Right. But aside from that, and we've already seen the pushback that comes from that, right. I don't really know what else there is, how many, what other lever you can pull. Indeed, indeed. I, I myself have no suggestions or solutions. It certainly is a problem, uh, hopefully we can semi-solve it at some point. Um, But of course, we want to remind people you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, Today's conversation at hand is uh, percentages. But before that, we're going to take a quick music break. But before we do, we want to remind you, you can always catch us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Please leave us a review. That helps us go up in the ratings. Also, if you have a question for us or for Malcolm that you want him to answer during his Malcolm's Money Minute, simply send us an email, info at managerdamnmoney.com. And also, you can catch us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. Malcolm, what's your handle? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, mine is at MYDM1. You can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash managerdamnmoney. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Yeah. Acoustic. Scissor, what up? Talk to me. I'm writing this letter to let you know. Bet you don't know that. I'll gawk at you at all when you read and then when you throw back the page that you just finished complete and then when you show that you love yourself before any people show that you so apt. Greatest of all time, that a middle, how you go at life and everything you believe in and study on that. And battle depression with appeal, you know how pros act. Uh huh, yeah. You know that professionalism. I've always dug your disposition. I bet that you get it from mama. When I met her, I knew she never knew different than royalty and poise with the ladies precision. I brag about you often and told my aces her self-esteem is so damn awesome. It's bone crusher song with T.I.P. killer my all in it. Mixed with a very crooked mechanic. Never scared, only confidence. Taking advantage of all of this. Six foot seven minus five inch chocolate. Skin occupant, living monument. Descended from my mama's 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 my mama and them continent. I like the vibes that you're giving me. I'm all about the body positivity. Wouldn't care if you weighed about infinity. Pounds, that's a lie. I'd be concerned about ability and health agility and how you see yourself before I offer sympathy. Of course, in, in the future, I always want you to feel like you get choices. Don't want you to end up an unhappy housewife that forced it. Hella remorseful. Living. If I didn't, dig your character. And that's the really case. The statement instead will be congratulations on the pretty face. That's what I'd really say. Cause that's what I really think You ain't gotta be a supermodel I don't need validation of your beauty From others to choose to dawdle And your presence and fervor And leave some flower as is Not pluck out of the dirt and then hurt Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm uh, Today's conversation at hand 
is a simple word, a single word. It is percentages. Here at MYDM, we pride ourselves on taking suggestions for shows, and thanks to one of our members of our crew, we're covering a very simple concept that can be described in a single word, percentages. What percentage of your income should you be saving? What percentage should you be spending on housing? What about a car or even your student loans? How we allocate our income across our responsibilities and for the future is a major determinant of our financial health. And that's why we're taking a look at how much we should spend on what. Malcolm, uh, the first story that we pulled for this piece um, today was how much of my monthly income should I spend on a mortgage? That's the headline that we uh, pulled. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a piece by on Forbes.com by Trulia. And it was from March 2017. Uh, the first item that they mentioned that you should do when you're calculating costs for a uh, uh, mortgage in particular, uh, calculate the true monthly cost. If you want an in-depth look at your potential mortgage payment, look for a mortgage calculator that includes costs like homeowners insurance or property taxes. Um, you want more than just the sales price and the loan interest rate to get like whether or not you can afford the mortgage. Yeah. Um, of course, your monthly insurance premiums and property taxes will depend on what you buy and where you live. When determining how much of a monthly income you can spend on a mortgage payment, you need to add both these costs in. Um, to get an accurate estimate, call insurance providers for a quote and look up the property taxes in your city or county you plan to buy in. Yeah, so if you're looking just to... to draw that out a little bit if you're looking on a website like zillow or redfin or somebody right they, in addition to giving you like the estimated value of the house mm -hmm. they actually give you the last few years of tax right. assessment on that too right so it makes it very easy if but you it's, are it's up to you to do the math to add right. it though. if you are diligent enough to do the work right they give you the information to answer those questions because you know if you're feeling good about yourself you'll leave that out and just be like yeah i could afford this mortgage well if you live like in places in the northeast like uh -huh. even further north than dc okay you're looking at almost like two percent a year in some cases for property taxes right. tacked on to the Which cost of the house so we just got done talking about how houses cost too much <laughs> now we're talking about tacking on two percent of the value of right. that three four five six hundred thousand dollar house you're buying right that adds up very quickly because that's an annual cost that's not just like a you know and you also have to remember that taxes are ch change based on who's in office what a legislature is doing so they can change technically they can go up or they can go down. how desirable your neighborhood and, and county and right. all that yeah. all those things factor in um another item that the piece mentioned is know the limits on lenders according to uh, a mortgage reform and anti-predatory lending act a section of the dodd frank act of 2010 and an entity lending money for a mortgage cannot underwrite the loan unless they determine you can reasonably repay it um and i think one of the things that they do because i've been going through the home buying process myself uh, which I shared a couple of shows ago, they, our house is like a new, quote unquote, new build. Mm -hmm. um, but quote unquote. Well, look, it is. Look, at, look at that humble brag. Oh my God. Anyway, um, so it's one of those things where they've actually checked in with us in the months leading up to the actual close just to see if we're still to able. To make sure you didn't do anything stupid. To make sure we haven't like, <laughs> tricked off a whole bunch of money. And I didn't even realize it until recently, the last one we did, I was like, wait a minute. This is just like going to the doctor to see if my, you know, cholesterol is still good. 
And the guy, not, not just that though, going to the doctor who told you, right, don't eat any more salt, right, okay, I don't care what else you eat, right, every day, don't eat any more salt, right, and then they check back in with you every month or so to make sure you actually did what they told you to, right, otherwise, gonna be some consequences and repercussions. It's, it's hilarious. I asked the loan officer guy, I said, um, so this is basically like going to the doctor's for a checkup. He was like, exactly, <laughs> yes, that's what this is, and I'm like, oh, all right, so I finally figured it out. Um, another item mentioned, your mortgage should take up and or another thing to remember your mortgage should take up no more than 28% of your monthly income you can use 28% as your general rule of thumb when making a budget for buying a home here's an easy formula multiply your monthly income by 28 then divide that by 100 the answer is 20% of your monthly income <laughs> the median income in the US is $55,000 if this were your income you'd make about six well, excuse me $4,000 and some change per month 28% um, of that of income comes out to about $1,300. Um, so that person who is making 55 a year should ideally, at least by this standard, be spending no more than about $1,300 on their uh, mortgage or rent or whatever it is. Um, another item listed, consider subtracting other essential expenses such as childcare, which is also an expensive, absurd cost in DC, um, and also transportation costs, which can be expensive depending upon like, you know, if you don't have public transit, you have to have a car or a reliable car. Um, from your monthly expenses. In addition, your lender will, your lender will also consider student loans, uh, car loans, and also, of course, credit card debt. Um, one rule of thumb, spend a fixed percentage of your income on housing. The general recommendation is to spend about 30% or less of your gross monthly income before taxes on rent. And I think that's like the old, you know, as they say, old wives tale. Mm -hmm. That's the old wives percentage that they say you're not supposed to go above when paying for uh, housing, which is 30%. So yeah, somewhere between 30 and 33%, 33 being kind of like the upper limit that I've heard on this, depending on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. But also to your point, I've heard so many times in recent past that that is kind of a thing of the past. Okay. Because I read articles and I unfortunately, I can't even quote any of them by name right. to, to give them their just due because I read so much stuff on a regular basis. But anyway, <laughs> They've basically said that in some cases, people who are in like our age cohort, the millennial generation, for example, uh, are spending 50% in some cases wow. of their gross income. Wow. Not even after they've paid the IRS. Wow. This is gross income, 50% that folks are spending on housing because to live in a place like a DC or a New York or an LA or wherever else where it's just ridiculous, right. that's what it costs. And then also folks who are cohabitating, for the sake of paying the rent, they're still overstretched. Right. So you're cohabitating with somebody who you otherwise probably wouldn't live with right. to afford rent, but realistically you still can't afford it because you're at that 40, 50% threshold. So it's that much more of a stretch. So right. that, that rule of thumb sounds great. And if you are somebody who either you make a significant enough income that it works out for you that way, mm -hmm. or you live in a place that just hasn't been impacted yet by migrating millennials trying to avoid high <laughs> housing costs, right. even though that's coming for you. <laughs> regardless of where, <laughs> regardless you, of where you live. Right. I keep seeing all these lists that are like the 10 best places for millennials to move to so yeah. their money goes further. Uh, they know about you, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> or <laughs> That's the last one I've read about, but you know, those yeah, guys. Right. Um, it, it, that rule of thumb sounds good, right. and in theory, it's great. That's what they teach us in classes, but I don't know how realistic that is anymore. Um, 
unfortunately. It's interesting. I read a story today, literally, about a new, and I've seen this trend about, you sp talked about cohabitating, mm -hmm. where there's a new trend where they're building, like, thinking like of an apartment building, but instead of a full apartment to yourself, you have, like, a room and a bathroom, and then you share the, like, whatever, the, the living space. Common areas. The common areas, that's, that's the word. kind of like a dorm. It's, it is literally a dorm. Hmm. It is actually, and you would pay, you're paying for your room, mm -hmm. and then you pay for the bathroom, so that's yours, and that's your space. But the common room you share, but then also the common room you're paying to have it cleaned um, professionally. Okay. So it's, it's interesting, because it's like this, ha the housing crisis, so to speak, is creating a scenario where grown people are willing to go back into being children at college you know and living you might end up with just a bunch of guys living there because <laughs> as you're describing it i'll uh, be honest i was thinking man if i was single that you know i'm 30 <laughs> years old and i'm thinking about regressing into this model you're talking about i was like that actually sounds kind of okay. like that, i really only need a bedroom a right. tv a bowl a plate <laughs> A spoon, a fork, where you know all the other stuff that I have is really non-essential. One wash rag. If you're talking to me about like thousand dollar rent right. to get to this level of what you're in, uh, that doesn't sound too terrible. The crazy but thing is probably just a bunch of guys <laughs> living this way. The crazy thing is one of the articles that I read about this over the last several months, the price point wasn't any. It wasn't like what it should be. Okay. The price point well, was still me. like relatively high for what you're getting for just that's being that in the room. professional cleaning service. Well, that's where that's where it comes in. Like, oh yeah, they're gonna clean up for you. They're gonna clean up the common space, which is nice. That'd be nice. Uh, but at the same time, it's like this doesn't feel like the way it's supposed to be going. But you know, whatever. Um, but it, it, when you're thinking about like that 30% rule, if somebody's over that, mm -hmm. and you can't really control where you are, you can't control where the quote unquote good jobs are, where you want to be. What are some other things people do, can do to kind of meet or account for that overage of that 28 to 30 some percent of income that's going out the door? Um, unfortunately, the other side of it is just their down payment. The more money you can afford to put down, the lower the monthly payment is. So well, that's if you're going to that ratio. That's is. if you're going to a house. Right. But what if like you're renting? Like, so if you're, you well, out? fortunately, though, if you're renting, um, renters, not renters, landlords tend to lean toward what the market is dictating mm -hmm. and so if all of the people who are applying for rent at this particular building in this particular zip code are applying and they're looking at 40 45 50 percent of their gross income being what it is mm -hmm. that's what the market tells them they have to take that's what they take right but they also know at the very worst they have you for 12 months and then they can put you out and right. then move to the next one so their market constantly moves right. it's the mortgage issue right. that's 30 years of can we get our money back out of this person? That's really the crux of the issue. Because, okay. um, you know, a landlord is going to do what they have to do to get <laughs> butts in the seats. Like where they offer in D.C., I see it all the time. I don't know where other people are. But they offer you a month or two months or even three months of free rent, rent, free, rent free. to get you in the door. And then they can adjust the price on you later on. Or the price didn't really adjust. You were just numb to it because you had free months right. ahead of time that you could prorate. And then all of a sudden in month 13, the market rate comes and you're like, nope, got to go. I know that one firsthand because I moved three times following increases on month 13. I was like, the two months were free. So uh, thank you. But nope, got to go. Millennials in D.C. move once a year, basically. Right, basically. <laughs> to get that uh, free three, three, three months. Three times within like a half of a square mile right. every single time. Just chasing free rent. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but we want to remind people you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, we're going to get 
to another music break. Um, but before we do, I want to remind you that you can always catch us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course Spotify. Leave us a review on all of those platforms. that helps us go up in the ratings. Um, if you have a question for us or you want to send a question in for Malcolm's Money Minute, simply send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. And you can always catch us on social media. Malcolm, what's your handle? Uh, at Malcolm on Money. And of course, mine is at MYDM1. Please follow us. And of course, you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash manager damn money. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Welcome back to Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Today's conversation at hand for this episode is a simple word, percentages. Uh, how much should you, we spend on what and when? We're answering that question on this episode. Uh, another headline we pulled for this one, Malcolm. Here's how much money you should have saved at every age. This was a CNBC.com piece from February of 2017 by Kathleen Elkins. And this is a big one because... A lot of times we talk about what we should be doing now, right? Mm -hmm. But this is something that looks at what we should be doing at every age and stage and for the foreseeable future. Um, the first thing they said, when it comes to savings, Americans are falling short. Nearly 70% of adults have less than $1,000 in their savings accounts. Retirement funds are looking equally bleak. In fact, about half of US families have zero retirement in their savings or zero, zero funds in their uh, retirement accounts. Um, so in your 20s, this piece says, aim to save 25% of your overall gross pay. A person quoted in the story tells CNBC that 25% is a combination of your 401k withholdings matching from funds from your employer and any cash savings you have. It can also include debt repayment. Just make sure your lifestyle expenses don't exceed 75% of your gross income. Um, so that's kind of like when you're first starting out, everyone's getting established in their 20s. Um, and that 25% is supposed to, I suppose, in be inclusive of all of your retirement efforts as well. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, that 25% that number when what do you you're think first about starting out uh -huh. is probably the most unrealistic. Is that too high or too low? 
too high. Really? 25% of your salary yeah. when you're working your first job out of college. I was making kibbles and bits when I first got out of grad school. <laughs> I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's call it $40,000. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have been blessed if it was that high. $40,000, uh-huh. 25% is $10,000 uh-huh. in D.C., yeah. Which means now, before taxes, <laughs> I've got $30,000 left to survive on. <laughs> I, I just don't see how that even is. Or even if I lived in, you know, another part of the country other than D.C., let's take right. us out of the vacuum. Right. That that money still, I don't think, would have gone. doesn't go nearly as far. Not, no. not as far as you'd want it to. So, I mean, it sounds great to say, oh, I can save 25%. This is what you should be doing. But maybe that goes back to the point you made in one of our previous shows about the need to move back in with mom and dad for a year or two years or whatever after graduating to get on solid ground Uh to be able to, you know. In that case, that would make something like that realistic. Sure. Um, That's the only way something (laughs) like that is realistic. Indeed. Um, Also... The next stage, by age 30, uh, have the equivalent of your annual salary saved, the person quoted in the story says. If you earn $50,000 a year, aim to have $50,000 in your savings when you hit 30, which feels like, I mean, that's a massive ask of anyone living in the millennial and possibly Gen Y, Gen Z generation, it feels like. Maybe if you did go and live at home with mom um, and dad, but that's a big number. You would have to be pretty diligent, um, super diligent, to be able to uh, to save that much. And right. and I mean, it is doable. Um, Do you think not, is that inclusive of retirement or not? Yes, that is inclusive. Oh, uh, okay. I think the way I understood it, right. I shouldn't flat out just, but the way I understood it, that's saying including your retirement savings. Right. You should be at one year's salary of that makes it more realistic but also so part of the reason it's doable the reason i said that so kind of emphatically is because part of the way up your employer is matching your contributions hopefully if you're and that's inflating that savings rate that you're able to so realistically i think you could have that number saved for retirement and in your regular by 30 yeah yeah that makes sense Um, but you would have had to start immediately after college right absolutely um another part of the story said again this includes any retire so this answers the question we were just asking it includes any retirement account contributions uh matching funds from your company like you said malcolm cash savings or money you've invested elsewhere in de- index funds or robo advisors um so that's actually exactly what it is accounting for mm-hmm. and if you've been listening to this show and are getting started at the age of 20 that should be a reasonable place to get to if you know you're making a decent jump in income each every few years um it then went on to say this is where it got kind of i kind of got it kind of got comp- not complicated but it's just a lot of steps by age 35 have twice your annual salary saved and of course that's across all of your accounts by age 40 having three times your annual salary saved by age 45 have four times of your annual salary saved <coughs> by age 50 have five times your annual salary saved and by age 55 have six times and so on and so forth up to 60 until you stop working um so it really just this particular article asks that you multiply basically each time you go up a stage in life see part of the reason i think that particular rule of thumb is a little bit more realistic and more manageable than a lot of the quote-unquote experts that I read on this right. is because it actually is basing it off of your life stage right. as well as the income that you have respective to where you are. Right. So, you know, if I am a artist, I draw 
paintings, uh, I illustrate kids' books, let's say, something obscure right. for a living. I'm not going to make the same money living in, you know, I don't know, somewhere in Maryland. Right. I'm not going to make the same money as a person who lives in Silicon Valley right. with that same illustrative skill designing <laughs> apps right. for some startup company. Like, right. it's just not, the math doesn't add up. Right. But fortunately, by basing it off of your income and nothing else, mm -hmm. It makes it more relative to where you personally are in your be. life and at those stages and all that kind of stuff. So I actually prefer that method, that rule of thumb, to where folks are just like, at this point, you should just have flat out half a million dollars. <laughs> I don't care what your story is or right. where you come from or what happened to you along the way. If you don't have this much, feel terrible because you've wasted your life. That's how you, usually that's how they read. And I've told people to stop listening to quote unquote experts because right. nobody knows. Right. But, you know, fortunately, in this case, it seems a little bit more realistic to right. me. And attainable, of course. Um, of course, a manager there, Money Today, Ben and Malcolm, we're talking about uh, percentages and the percentages of things that you can contribute to this or to that. Um, other considerations for percentages, uh, credit cards and consumer debt, whether credit cards or other consumer loans, debt that is not a mortgage or a student loan has the greatest impact on your credit score and typically carries high interest rates. Uh, you wanna make sure to pay off this kind of debt as soon as possible. And that's kind of like a really strong rule of thumb, um, especially when we're talking about debt. Uh, Cause you know, if you have high balances and it's just rolling over, you're just adding interest to it. Um, and that of course hurts your ability to put any kind of percentage towards anything. I'm gonna um, add a percentage to that real quick. Mm -hmm. And also that the credit card conversation that brings in that rule of thumb that you don't wanna use more than 30% of whatever your available balances are right um because as soon as you crack that 30 percent marker the credit card company starts paying more attention to you right. and is less likely to release funds to you in the future and all that kind of stuff so 30 mm. percent as a percentage again since we're on that right um and that's of course a percentage of what debt you're using of what you have available to you right um specifically for credit cards okay very good and then uh this is an interesting thing i went home to california and i was with my friends, well, I should say my sister's old friend sister, who, I, yeah, right, I know, who I was cool with too, and we were with, I was with her husband, and we were talking about. So a friend of yours. Yeah, basically, <laughs> roundabout way of saying. And uh, her husband was telling me about how they use the Dave Ramsey approach, mm -hmm. right? And everyone kind of has, has at least heard of Dave Ramsey, who's a well-known uh, personal finance, maybe expert. Um, and his, not if they're younger than like 50 though <laughs> he's he's far older than yeah. 50 um, but his thing is from what I understand I haven't seen it um, myself but from what they told me the goal is to like save a thousand dollars and then everything after that you put towards debt mm -hmm. and they were telling me how they did it exactly as it was prescribed and that they've been knocking out debt left and right but for me it was like that just a thousand like that made me personally nervous like if i only had some small amount like that if stuff if something goes wrong then i felt like i wouldn't be able to address it but we're talking about saving a thousand dollars out of whatever you have coming in each month so in that it you so otherwise would have spent well, the, the idea is that you don't st save, you rather than save it, you pay off your debt. Right. And you get more aggressive with your debt than- But so where I was going with that is that, that that implies that you were already saving at a ridiculously high, but not ridiculously high, but an, yeah. an accelerated pace. Yeah. And instead of diverting it to just your savings account, right. you're now applying it to debt. But if you're a person who's spending, 
and you just so happen to manage to save a couple of dollars after uh, you get done making your minimum debt payments, right? Then this doesn't really apply, right? Anyway, and so I, this is, and know. I think the assumption there is that you're not spending frivolously. But there is a there is a point to be made that you Or maybe can, not even spending frivolously, but you're just stretched thin. You got more right. month than you got money, as the old <laughs> people like to say. Um, right. Then in that case, this Dave Ramsey approach, like, you know, I just told you how I feel about the quote-unquote experts. <laughs> and the one-size-fits-all advice I, that people tend to give out. Right. I know for me that $1,000 doesn't feel like enough to handle whatever comes across. And that I would definitely, if possible, want to have more than that saved. Um, even if it meant foregoing paying off like a couple student loans for a little while longer. So to make sure that I understand what you're saying, uh-huh. you're saying save a thousand dollars flat and that's it. Flat that that is not a, save a thousand dollars every month. No, no, no. Okay. Flat okay. a thousand. Like as I understood it, he was saying the way he explained it to me was, or the way that the program is supposed to be, whatever one he was referring to. You're supposed to save a thousand dollars, and then after you have that thousand dollars, that one thousand dollars in the bank, mm-hmm. literally everything that you make that you could save or do something with, you put it towards your debt to pay it off. I got you. Okay. And that's the thing that I'm like, uh, it might work, and that's cool, but it just makes me uncomfortable. Personally. I think as a couple, maybe that's possible. Okay. So if you you have two people who generate an income that are working at this, right, and they both that's possible. They, they both were because that whole three to six months emergency reserve number. It's contingent on how many people in that house are working and contributing. That's right? true. So if you have a spouse who also earns an income, that number doesn't need to be as high as if I'm an individual person, I've got one income, right. and if it hits the fan, I need a lot of runway to right. make up. You know? So that's true. in that case, I kind of understand mm-hmm. where that's coming from, but still I think $1,000 is dangerous because $1,000 doesn't even cover one month of my living expenses. So right. then, you know. What are you doing then? Yeah. Um, another element that's important to remember, uh, a particularly nagging expense for our generation. Of course, we know what that is, Malcolm. Uh, what's the best approach for student loans as it pertains to the percentage of your income? Um, do your early earning years prevent you from paying them down, or should you still try? And this was something that I ran into early on in my career, where I didn't have enough to even address it, mm-hmm. and I just kept like, you know, what is it, forbearance? You know, I'll get it to you later. Um, and then looking back, maybe I should have tried, but then it's like a drop in the bucket. I don't know if that would have done anything. I think part of the challenge with student loans and the way the the cost of school in general now mm-hmm. is that number just looks so unattainable yeah. that yeah. you don't even try. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I definitely felt fortunately, I'm not in that position. And so I can't necessarily speak to it from the been there, done that perspective right but it just seems to me like when i hear people talk about like 50 60 70 80 hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt mm-hmm. and you're a person who's never had more than you know a thousand dollars to your name at any one time right. you look at that and you go well i'm never gonna pay that anyway i might as well have fun right and then you don't even bother to try and so i think psychologically it just you, know, you can do all the math you want and right. make it sound as good as you want to in theory but realistically, like, how do you even begin to put one foot in front of the other and attack an $80,000 monster? Like, right. You know. That's absolutely true, and I definitely fell victim to that. As I said at the top of the show, I just now realized how much I was spending <laughs> in student loans. Um, and another item, Malcolm, which you'll know something about investing, uh, the question for you is what is the gradual allocation that should be put towards investing and retirement as we progress through our career? So, of course, we have, like, 
that basic whatever percent at work that you should be putting away in your 401k Mm -hmm. and then whatever that hopefully you get matched on that like let's just assume that that's happening Mm -hmm. what else should be people should people be like putting towards in terms of like automatic investing you know a separate ira account or a basic investing account like what percentage should people start funneling them off and funneling off to that once they get like a little bit of establishment going so i personally think that folks who are actually doing that saving to hit that emergency reserve number of six months or whatever it is eventually you'll hit that number right if you're diligently going about making sure that you save on a regular enough basis to get there right and then once you hit that number then what In this case, the then what, the bridge you're crossing when you get to it, is you just divert those funds instead of going into emergency reserves like they have been for however long. You divert that exact same amount into some sort of automatic investment portfolio. So you always hear me talk about how automating your saving is Mm -hmm. the best way to go about actually hitting those goals. Automating that investing so every month, every two weeks or however you set it up, having that money go to buy more shares of some mutual fund or an exchange traded fund or whatever you decide to do, having that money go instead of going to savings and sitting in cash and earning you close to zero, just start buying investments with that exact same ratio every single month. And, you know, if and when you actually do have to dip into your reserves, divert the money back to sure up that six month number and then go right back to doing what you were doing. But I think that's probably the best way to I don't know if dip your toe is. I know that's your favorite way to, to dip your, your toe phrase, in a jacuzzi, Malcolm. But I, I think that's probably the best way to go at go after it. That okay. exact same money you're already comfortable with, just divert it to a different activity. Absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, some wise, but basic, also basic words. Um, another thing, to keep in mind, transportation can be one of the largest deductions of anyone's income. Do your best to keep this expense low and save the purchase of the X5 BMW for later. Uh, there's, there's, I don't think there's any rule or percentage when it comes to uh, transportation. Just keep it low. Like I, right, as, as low as you possibly. So I, my rule personally uh-huh. is when I buy a new car, I try to buy a car that I can afford to pay off in three years. Okay. So I stretch the financing out 60 months right. is kind of the standard to get whatever the base interest rate you'll get is. Mm-hmm. I take the 60-month financing, but pay it at an interval that'll get me to 36 months. Oh, on your own. Right, on my own. So I take out the loan for the it hits the fan scenario. Okay, I can at least pay this minimum monthly amount of whatever. Right. But I pay it based on a three-year schedule. Because to me, after I've paid it off three years later, now I've got another, let's call it three years before stuff just starts happening and I'm like, I gotta get a new car. Right. So now I've, you know, I paid for it half the time, drove it without paying for it the other half of the time and I feel a little bit more comfortable that, you know, in that's, a bad scenario, I can still afford to. That's a wise trick there, sir. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like tricking yourself into what you can't afford for real and then, I like that. Uh, well, you know what my solution for transportation is and I told my wife, earlier i think it was like yesterday she was like what kind of car would you want if we got a second car i said no car <laughs> like i don't want a second car I, I i don't mind walking i don't mind taking the train you're a little more willing to put up with the commute than i am man look like i, I don't want to hear about anybody's bus <laughs> I, i'm liking the metro less and less the older i get okay it gets hotter outside i take the metro less uh-huh. it rains like it did today i don't take the metro 
<laughs> so, you know, you're a lot more willing to deal with a little discomfort here oh, man. to save on owning transports. I will give you that. In I'll, the time I've known you, you uh, have been extremely flexible with transportation. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll just come up off those dollars. Like, it just, I right. can't do it. That's true. That's true. Uh, another one and the last one uh, before we close this show. Uh, child care costs are a beast, especially in metropolitan cities. Uh, be smart and befriend a wonderfully a wonderful elderly woman to take care of your kids. <laughs> Ours is Miss Gemma. We have a Miss Gemma where we live who uh, ha- has a little business of sorts. So you already got her planned out. We we have somebody as a potential uh, when we cross that bridge. And of course, uh, you can live in the same city as a family and get grandma to take care of Junior for free. Um, I don't have any other suggestions when it comes to childcare because I know that that's a really expensive thing. Uh, and something that we need to tackle here on this show just to really just talk about how expensive it is. I don't even have anything to offer to it. Like, I don't have any first-hand knowledge. Right, or like, yeah. You know, we need to get some, like, we need to get, like, a nanny on here and then tell us how much money she makes off of it. <laughs> like um, it's interesting. So we want to remind you, this has been an episode of Manager Damn Money. Did you mention in uh, the intro that this show was designed or... or asked for yes by a member of the uh why don't you talk about that a member of the montgomery community media crew so just i throwing that out there to make sure folks know that we do actually take your show show suggestions excuse me seriously indeed we do um so you know do with that what you will absolutely absolutely um and we want to of course remind people they can always catch past episodes of manager damn money on apple podcast soundcloud stitcher Google Play, and now Spotify. Uh, Of course, leave us a review or give us a rating on any of those platforms that helps us go up in the ratings and helps other people learn about our show. Um, If you have a question for Malcolm you want him to do for his Malcolm Money Minute, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. Also, uh, comments, critiques, tell us how good we're doing, what we can improve. Um, And of course, you can catch us on social media. My handle is at mydm1. What about yours, Malcolm? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, that's on Twitter and Legrand. Um, we want to thank our partners here at Montgomery Community Media once again for another fantastic show. And of course, you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash manager damn money. Uh, until next time, be good with your money. Peace. Peace. They say that money made the world.